Great. Thank you, Martin. I know a long passage uh, to read. Um, you know, as Hannah was leading us in the word of prayer for uh, Peter and Wayne, uh, missionaries often have a soft heart in my in my own uh, in my heart, uh, soft, soft part in my heart, because uh, they are to me examples and models of what it means to give it all and sacrifice it all for the gospel. And uh, I don't think missionaries are the only ones who are called to do that. And certainly we are also called to do the same thing because the Great Commission tells us that we are the ones that uh, to go out and make disciples as well. Not just going overseas, but even here, right here, our own backyard. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, we have our other sermon series called Bless. And uh, we talked about how it is important for us to begin any gospel sharing, any witnessing with prayer. Uh, I was reminded this week as some of us are meeting on Thursday for our home group and um, the disparity between our desire to want to see people saved to our desire want to share the gospel. I think oftentimes if you put on a scale of zero to 10, we probably would say 10 for because I want to see people saved. Like I want to see lost people found by Jesus. I want them to experience peace, joy, love, significance, and, and, and eternal life. Like if any one of us who is Christian who doesn't have that desire, then we probably should check whether we really believe in Jesus, right? Like we, we desire that. But oftentimes it's not that number that's the problem. Oftentimes the number of how often do I actually want to share the gospel to bring that person into salvation, to see Christ and experience Christ. Because Romans chapter 116 tells us very clearly that it is, we should not, well, we should not be ashamed of the gospel. Why is it is because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so it is not necessarily our testimony that saved people. It is not even our relationship with those people, save people. Those are means to help them, means to bring the gospel. But ultimately, it is the gospel that saves. You and I enter the kingdom of God for the same very reason. I have many, many people who have prayed for me, invested in my life. I really believe that that's the work of the Holy Spirit through them to shape my heart in the right place and the right time to receive the gospel. And as, as disciples of Christ, we're called to do the same thing. And so I want to encourage you. I know that we, this series on three circles, we're talking a whole lot about kind of the mechanic of the gospel. We can get lost in the mechanic of the gospel and lost the heart of the gospel. And if we are to capture the heart of the gospel, it has to start in the place of us praying for those around us. And so you've been following us. We've been uh, encouraging you to pray through your frank list, your friend. Your, your relatives, your family, uh, your associates or uh, people, uh, acquaintances, pray for your physical neighbors, digital neighbors, pray for your coworkers or classmates. It is on that place where we pray that God will prepare their hearts, but also prepare us to share the word of God with them, that we can step through when God does open the door. And both of which cannot be done on our own. And we desperately need Jesus to do that for us, in us, and through us. So that's an encouragement I want to give you as we continue on this three circles. Last week, we started with uh, God's perfect designs. Just a reminder for us, the three circles, the first one is God's perfect designs. 
uh, in life. We talk about God's creation, beautiful creation, Genesis chapter one and two. Six days he created all things, included a uh, human being. And he rested on the seventh day and he did not create us just so that he can kind of march us out to be robots to do his bidding. But God longed to have a relationship. And in fact, he created us to have a relationship with him. I love the song that uh, Vincent picked earlier. It was about God's steadfast love. And the Hebrew word is hased, this everlasting, beautiful, steadfast, consistent love that God has shown us from the day he created us. And so that was God's perfect design. We saw God had a design in our gender identity. God has a design for marriage. Not that everyone will get married, but there's a beauty in marriage and reflecting God's love for us. Talks about how we, we interact with one another, how there's beauty and worth in doing work. Uh, so God has all these great design we talked about last week. And that's where the gospel actually starts. That God had these awesome design, perfect design for our lives. So uh, to the way that we sh- should live, experience him and also to experience love for one another. But then today we're going to move on to the second circle, which is brokenness. Brokenness. If you are to break up the Bible, I have to give you a big picture of what the Bible is. I can tell you that. I will tell you that Genesis chapter 1 and 2 will be the first chapter, first scene of the story. God created this beautiful uh, design. Then chapter 3 alone will be the second episode of this story of the gospel. Because that's when sin entered into the world, our, our lives, our worlds are broken because of sin. And we'll spend our time today on that. And the rest of the Bible until Revelation will be God's pursuit of you and me and every lost person in this world. So everything from Genesis chapter 3 on, Genesis chapter 4 to, to, the, uh, to the beginning of Revelation, it is all the story of how God pursued us through different ways and, and including and the climax of Jesus dying on the cross for us. And the final chapter of this story, which we're looking forward to as believers, as disciples of Christ, is Revelation. That the groom will come, the bridegroom will come back, receive the bride, the church of God, the church of Christ, and we'll reunite it with him. And so this is a big over, big picture view for you, what the Bible is. Every time when you read through the Bible and you read a different component of the Bible, hopefully this will help you to mark it. But today we're going to spend a majority of our time on brokenness. Um, I think it is a familiar place for many of us. Uh, brokenness, whether it's by our fault or by the fault of others. It's hard to go through a day without experiencing brokenness. Again, it sometimes may be your fault. <laughs> sometimes it might be my fault. It sometimes might be somebody else's fault. I uh, just do a screen capture on Friday. Just look down ABC News locally. I just take this snapshot without scrolling through anything. And one look at this, you can just look through, you can, as you're looking through different pictures and, and caption, you see majority of the news is explaining, displaying the brokenness of this world. A man charged shooting at someone. Passengers on a flight punching each other out. Two dead, 10 missing in a boat that uh, being capsized because they're being uh, illegally uh, carried over to this, to, uh, from Cuba. You can, you can go through the day and go through the news and hear over and over again the brokenness that's going on in this world. Over 40% of children in America live in a single parent household. 
for what are divorce reason for what or or parents not are not being uh, passing away. Forty percent of children live in a single parent household. One half of a million children are removed from, from their home in America due to abuse, neglect, and placed in foster care. Twenty million people are ensnared annually with some kind of addiction in our country. My wife I, and and I also with Phyllis and some of other sisters involved in December every year. So uh, last few years. Is, a, is to raise awareness of human trafficking. 70, 70, 77% of trafficking victims are exploited within right where they live. We all know about the racism going on in this country. Violence, you heard about what's going on up north in San Jose earlier this week. You guys know that recently I, I volunteered as a chaplain in our local sheriff station. Talking to sheriffs and the law enforcement, just just they're inundated with crimes happening day in, day out, early in the morning, late at night, in the middle of the day. We, I don't think I need to convince you that we live in a broken, broken world. And many, many ways in a human history, we are kind of, you guys are familiar with this nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty, right? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's forces and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. In many ways, as human beings, we live like a Humpty Dumpty. Our lives are broken, and we're trying to find whatever way possible to piece it back together. Some people use political means, depending on your political party. (laughs) We have Tons of presidents have gone through in this country, and yet would you would, there might be some improvement in our society, but would you say that any of any any all, all the all the brokenness have been rooted out? No. We have invention that happened in, in all over all over the world. But yet we continue to see new things happen that uh, happens. COVID shows up with the technology that we have, it, be, it still cannot contain a, a tiny virus. You see, we live in a broken world and we're trying to piece it back together on our own with our ways. And there may be some improvement, but at the end of the day, the source of that brokenness needed to be changed. And there's something that we cannot do on our own. But thanks, uh, thankfully, to God, uh, thank, we, we thank God that there is actually a solution called the gospel of Jesus that can heal the brokenness. That can actually piece us back together, not the old version of us, not, but actually give us new life. And so today we're going to talk and jump in Genesis 3 a little bit. We won't go through in ex- ex- extensive detail. But one of the first thing I want us to see from Genesis chapter 3 is, is simply that we as humans choose to depart from God's perfect design. Again, thank you, uh, Martin, for reading a long passage for us. We saw from Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, all things were good, created. And we entered a scene in Genesis chapter 3, a serpent showed up. And we know later on the serpent represents Satan. And Satan went to the woman, went to Eve, and did not tell her to sin, did not tell her to depart from God. He merely asked some questions to her. And he answered this, did God, verse, uh, verse one, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And then the world, the saying that question, ask, ask Eve a question and cause her to doubt and think. And then, uh, and then verse two, the woman, Eve replied to Satan, says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. It continued, went on. So the woman was confused by, by what God really said, because God never said that you shouldn't touch it. God just said, just, you can eat of any tree except the one in the middle. A tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then the serpent probed a little bit, pushed a little bit further. And started tempting her, tingling her uh, tickling her heart and asking her, don't you want, don't you know that God doesn't want you to be like him? That's why he told you not to eat it. And as the woman looked at the fruit, by the way, it's not an apple. It might be an apple. We don't know if it's an apple. I know we teach that in Sunday school, Sunday school it's an apple, but he just said it's a fruit. As a result of that, she gave in to that temptation. She took a bite of the apple, gave it to her husband. And as a result of that, they immediately felt guilty, were ashamed. And it said that they put, they have to go sew on fig leaves together and make themselves loincloth to cover themselves because there's shame in their lives. And the verse 8 tells us God pursued them even in the midst of their sin. Even after God knew that they sinned, God knew exactly, I mean, God knew exactly where they were in the Garden of Eden, and yet God could pursue them and, and call them and found them. And we know the rest of them, it was God's pronouncement of judgment, first, for the, first to the serpent, then to the woman, then to Adam. Now, the first thing I want us to see simply from this story is that we choose to depart from God's perfect design. The serpent did not force the woman to eat the fruit but the serpent simply gave her an opportunity to do so this is true from the beginning for adam and eve is true for you and i satan actually never move our hands and move our hearts to sin against god it is always our choice to turn away from god's design and I believe the reason why Eve turned away from God and Adam turned away from God, by the way, is not Eve's fault only. It's actually Adam and Eve's both fault. Later on, we will know that God, God actually punished Adam for not uh, protecting his wife. So it's both Adam and Eve's fault to turning away from God. But the reason I want to point out to us is, is simply because they thought they knew better than God. Look at verse 5 with me. For God knows that when you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, they think that they knew better than God. If I were to give a, a definition, I mean, no authority to give one. But if I were to define sin, well, for, for many of us, we would define sin as just what we do against God or what we think against God. But I think at the core of what sin is, is this heart orientation of turning away, thinking that we're better than God. The definition of sin is simply, we think we are better than God. Wasn't that what sent, uh, sent Satan out of heaven? Remember, Satan was an angel, high-ranking angel, and yet God kicked him out because he thought he's better than God. Why did Eve and Adam sin against God? Because they thought they knew 
better than God. Romans chapter 1, verse 25, Paul uh, uh, il- illustrated this, this, uh, this principle to us. He, he was writing to a group of people saying that, you know, these people don't believe in God. Why? Look at this. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. They thought they knew better than God. So they choose who they want to worship. Because they thought they thought they knew better than God. Solomon, the man of great wisdom from God. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but his end is the way to death. We always think that we are, we always think that we're right. We always thought that we know better. I was the case when I was young. I'm still the case today as an adult. I always think that I have the best idea. I do the remote, the best thing. I know best. But it is exactly that's what turned uh, people away from God. That is exactly what turned Adam and Eve from God. It is exactly how I step into temptation when I think I know better than God. You see, God had these perfect design in our lives. It is not to harm us. It is not to... Uh, take the joy away from us, take the fun away from us. It is meant for our good. And yet naturally we turn to ourselves and think that we know better. And so let me make choices according to my knowledge, my wisdom. And as a result of that, we turn away from God and sin. And and, and that's not just an Adam and Eve problem. It is all of our problems. Romans chapter 3 tells us clearly, for all have sinned and fall short the glory of God. Isaiah 53, even before the New Testament was written, Isaiah over a couple thousand years ago had predicted and, and wrote in, 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 in prophecy about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the reason for it is why all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I want you to focus on the word that happens in both Romans 3, Isaiah 53, is the word all. It does not matter how smart we are. It does not matter what, what era we were born in. It does not matter what culture we are. It does not matter what, how much money you make, how little money you have. It does not matter of any condition. The fact that we're human being all both in Greek and in Hebrew, means all. We all turn away from God. And some people might be thinking, when you share the gospel with someone, they may be saying, well, that's Adam and Eve's fault. Why do I have to pay for, for the gospel? That's unfair. One way for us to think of it is simply this. My, um, my, my, one of my parents have high, high blood pressure uh, genetically through their family. And so I'm very susceptible to getting high blood pressure as well. Now, is it fair that I have it? Well, I don't know. You can say fair or unfair, but the fact of the matter is I was born, I was given life, and some of that DNA got passed on to me. In a spiritual sense, Adam and me, because of Genesis chapter 3, fell from uh, sin, fell from uh, fell, fell because of sin, their lives been polluted, soiled by sin, by the nature of sin, and subsequently, as us continue to be the offspring of Adam and Eve, generations have passed. It continues on that we are born with a nature to sin. 
if you don't believe me, I always tell people, just show up at a preschool room. You can, you can see total dep- depravity. Just put five preschoolers together. You instantly see what sin looks like. If you don't believe it, talk to people who got married for a long time. They will tell you what sin looked like when they argue. Do not talk to people who are in honeymoon. I have a friend just on honeymoon right now. They're in their bliss. They're living in denial. They thought their life would be perfect from this point forward. But they little did they realize that each one of them, both of them are themselves sinners that will continue to sin. And here's the problem when we turn away from God. When we turn away from God's perfect design in our lives, it leads us to brokenness. Man, it's such a simple statement, isn't it? But yeah, oftentimes when we think about why my life is so broken, why my life is so messed up, why do I have these things going on in my life? And the first finger we point to is not ourselves, but is to who? To God, to others. I have departed from God's design and therefore it leads into brokenness also in my life. We have done the same thing. And when we look back in Genesis chapter 3, what happens? Immediately after Adam and Eve took a bite in verse 7, their eyes, yes, their eyes were open. But what were, what were they open to? Not good things. Their eyes were open and they knew that they, have, they were naked and they sewed fake leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Because sin entered into their lives. Because they've departed from God's perfect design. God actually shielded them from seeing sin and evil. And yet because they entered and opened their hearts with something that is not rightfully theirs. Now their eyes are open. Their lives are broken. Their lives are, are, they see shame and guilt. When previously they have no knowledge of them. It was so instinctual for them that they realized they were naked. They feel shame that they're naked. And they have to cover up themselves. You see, that's what sin does to us. When we sin, when we do something wrong, there is something. And whether you believe or not with us right here watching and listening, there is a sense of guilt. You might not show it on the outside. People might not be able to tell. But deep inside of us, because we're created by God in his own image, there is this sense of holiness and, and, and righteousness that we're familiar with because that's what we're made for God's holiness and God's righteousness. And so when we sin, there's a sense of guilt. And what happened is when we continue to press it down, it becomes callous. When you keep running it over and over and pushing it down, pretending nothing, it becomes callous. But regardless of how callous we feel, you can cut your arm, have callous over it, and you don't take care of it at the bottom of it. It can still fester and grow. It can continue to damage your flesh, continue to damage your arm, your wound. Just because we don't sense it on the outside does not mean that it's not damaging us. And for many of us, brokenness sometimes becomes so callous to us that we don't even realize it's hurting us. I just want to quickly show show you from chapter 3 some of the damage that's done to Adam and Eve. First and foremost, it ruined their relationship with God. Genesis chapter 3, 8, after they've ate the fruit, they realized that they're uh, naked and they're shameful. When God was looking for them, what did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of God. Think about that. You are in the presence of the most holy being. You're in the presence of the one who created you. 
instead of running to that person, you hide yourself away from him. In some ways, they're delusional to think that they can actually hide themselves from God. Their relationship with God has, was severed, r- ruined, strained. Because they thought they knew better. But not only their relationship, their relationship with one another, uh, the relationship and, and the, the spiritual life. Because God pronounced this judgment that they will, that God will put enmity, meaning uh, adversity between, between the serpent and the woman, between the offspring, uh, Satan's uh, offspring and human offspring. And God will, uh, Satan will bruise the, uh, the offspring of the woman alluding to Jesus will bruise the head of Satan and Satan will bruise his heel. I don't have time to go into it in detail, but this is actually one of the first glimpses of the gospel. Because the offspring of the woman Eve, meaning Jesus, will one day crush the head, but Satan will first have to kill and, and bruise his heel and kill him. That's exactly what happened on the cross. But the point I want to show us here is simply that because of sin entered, we will continue to have to fight against the enemy, Satan. Your struggle today, those struggle that your friends and family who are far away from God that's dealing with it are not just pure accidents there is a spiritual element to that there is maybe foreign for many of us as north american christians a spiritual element of darkness in the world the bible calls saying the prince of the world he will continue to attack he will not win at the end but he is still at work today and god is working toward the day that he will crush him once and for all But because of sin entered, we continue to struggle. That's why Paul said in Corinthians that your fight is not against flesh and blood. Uh, Ephesians, your your fight is not against flesh and blood, against principalities, about spiritual powers. We continue to struggle with that today. But not only spiritual life, even our family life. Woman, to the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. God did not just make it more painful, physical painful. Uh, pain just to be a punishment but that in itself affects the way that they were supposed to give a physical offspring not only in family life in marital life with your husband and wife your desire should be contrary to your husband that there will be because of sin the sinful nature of us we will fight against one another not only as a couple but also in family think about the divorce rate in our country As a sad, I share with you, think about all the single parent household. Again, not every one of them is a result of divorces. Think about all the abuses that's going on in our homes in this country. All those are a result of sin as it entered into the world. It breaks things. And notice these things are, as you, as I make reference last week, are things that our country, our world continue to champion. That's against God. Not only that, also affects our work life. It says this, you shall not eat of it, curses ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. We're called to work. Actually, the work's supposed to bring us fulfillment before sin entered the world. But because of sin, bring brokenness into our world. Guess what? Now, when we work, is is not no longer just fulfilling it's hard for us 
Sometimes it's hard to get up for us to actually do good work. Work is no longer a pleasure for some of us because sin entered into the world and disrupt the way that we're supposed to see work. But not only that, even our, even our physical life. In verse 19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for your dust and to dust you shall return. Death entering into the world, the ultimate sign of brokenness in our lives is when we get buried six feet deep into the ground. God never intended death to be a reality for us. Yet when sin entered into the world, we sin against God, we sin against one another. And the ultimate price for our sin is death. And the reality of scriptures, all of us, because of a, our, the sin-tainted world that we live in, will one day die. No one will escape that. So that's the remnant of the brokenness in this world. But yet there is good news for us. That we don't have to live in that state of, of brokenness and death. Physical death. Jesus promised through his own death and resurrection, a better news. When we just stop right here, we'll look at brokenness. We see that brokenness is a very sad thing. It's a painful thing. In fact, I was just reading from a, a, a newsletter from a friend of mine. I just want to read it to you. I just read it this morning. And I thought it would be helpful for us. As we think about brokenness. A friend of mine works in a refugee camp halfway around the world. Here's what she wrote. During my first camp visit, I watched a woman track into the distance with her baby on her back. At midday with a hot sun beating down just to access the closest usable toilet. Then sitting with our refugee teams, we heard story after story of the suffering and impossible decisions the community have had to make to survive. The helplessness of wanting to wash hands, but not having soap or water available, having to trade a mosquito net for food, and being vulnerable to malaria, and of course, the longing for home. And throughout the discussion, black flies swarming all over us, apparently they only increase in the rainy season. The guards tell us that dodging scorpions and killing snakes that come to the compound day and night are just a regular part of their work. Life in a refugee camp is indescribably difficult. While you and I don't live in that reality, brokenness exists all over the world. And and last week in our family worship with with our children uh, ministry, someone asked a profound question. Someone asked, if God is so good, then if God provides for everything, why isn't God doing anything about people who are suffering? In other parts of the world. And that question stuck with me the rest of this week as I wrestle with I give an answer. I know what the answer is that God is still good. God is continued pursuing them. And as I was thinking about brokenness that we're talking about here, we look at brokenness, it might simply be we can be sad about it. But yet the gospel tells us the brokenness doesn't have to be the end of the story. 
brokenness does not have to be the end. And people living in refuge may be the result of somebody else's sins, their brokenness that is impeding into their lives. But brokenness does not have to define you. Brokenness does not have to define me. Brokenness does not have to define the people who are far away, who are suffering all over in third world countries. Because brokenness can actually be an inflection point for us to see change through Jesus Christ. Brokenness can actually be a mirror for us to look at and see how much we can do on our own that can actually point us to Jesus. In Mark chapter 4, many of us are familiar with that story, the parable of the four soils. Jesus said he sowed a seed. Some seeds got onto the soil with the road. Some see one to the rocky soil, some see one to the thorny soil, and some see one to the good soil. Of course, we know three out of those four, the seed won't survive. And for many people in the world, brokenness exists. That people's hearts are like the first soil, second soil, and third soil. But you know what usually makes good soil? A lot of times, soil that's on a road, soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, you know what it's going to take sometimes for it to get to fertile, good soil? Oftentimes, it's a storm of life. Oftentimes, it's when people feel they're at the end of the rope. They got somehow in a sovereignty, allow bad things happen into their lives and their families. Maybe a bad diagnosis, maybe unseen circumstances, a death of a loved one. Maybe in a prodigal, uh, Luke chapter 15, prodigal, some way that some walk away and just get to the bottom of life and nowhere to turn. And yet that brokenness actually point him back to his father. And so while it is brokenness that is painful sometimes to watch people and even sometimes myself to walk through god actually has a purpose in his brokenness it is to bring people back to himself god has a perfect design and we walked away from him we sin as a result of brokenness we use everything possible to fill that brokenness to to fix it to put humpty dumpty back in together but here's the problem it doesn't work and brokenness doesn't have to be the end of the story because there's something called the gospel of jesus That Jesus said if we just repent, turn around, put our trust and follow him, we can have eternal life. Let me be very clear. God doesn't necessarily say I will change all the circumstances in this life. We might still live with the consequences of brokenness in our lives or somebody else's brokenness in our lives. But Jesus promised something better. He said, if you repent of your sin, if you put your trust in Jesus, I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you something beyond this world. Something that will last forever. Something that that will be with you. Something that is that you will never lose. Restore relationship to that perfect design that God had for you from the very beginning. The intention of his creation of you and me. And so the question I want to end for us today is this. If you're a believer, 
I want to encourage you to lean in to your own brokenness in the past, in the present. Because I believe it is to that brokenness that the more we lean into that the more we experience the fresh grace of Jesus in our lives. That even though we are, we are still falling with the best of our ability, yet the grace of God comes over us day in, day out and say, I love you. Not because you are good. I love you even when you're not good because I love my son and my son died for you. And when we lean into that beautiful gospel, I think that's what compels us to pray for those who are far away from God. I think that's what compels us to to see the brokenness uh, all around us and want to do something about it. I think that's the reason why I believe, I don't want to put words in their mouth, Peter and Wayne will travel halfway around leaving their son in the stateside so that they can go to be an agent of changing other people's brokenness. But first, we need to feel that broken. We need to remember that brokenness. We need to lean into that brokenness. And for those of you here today, perhaps you are still in that place of brokenness that you have never repented and put your trust in Jesus. I hope today's sermon be an encouragement to you. Maybe in the midst of your brokenness, you feel like lost. You feel like angry at God. You're bitter at God. God, you didn't do anything. Perhaps God is waiting for you all along. And he's been there with you the whole time. Like that prodigal son and the father waiting for you to return home. And all he wanted you to do is to say, I don't know any better than you, God. I thought I do, but I don't. And the way I lived my life, it was against your design. I turned away from you. I want to come back home. And I want to give my life to Jesus so that Jesus will live in me. And if that's your desire, I want to pray for you. We're going to pray together and we'll continue to worship. We're going to respond with our last song called Draw Me Close to You. Perhaps an older song for many of you, but I pray that this song will be resonating as you respond to God. No matter how far you may feel away from God, sing this as a prayer. To ask God to draw you near to him. I love how Jesus is so tender. He never drag us to him. He draw us and woo us to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. God, Romans 5, it comes to mind that while we're still sinners, Christ, you die for us. While we're all in that circle of brokenness, somewhere in there, Christ, you already died for us. So God, I pray that if there's anyone today that want to repent of their sin, want to put their trust in you, Jesus, and to follow you because to know that you know better than them, that you are the master of their lives. God, I pray for every person who wants to pray that God. Receive their genuine prayer and affirm them by helping them to know that they have eternal life. 
And God, for every one of us who are disciples of Christ, follower of Jesus, God, I pray that these, this story of the gospel would never, never, ever, ever become old for us. That you will wash us over every morning, every day, throughout the day, God, how blessed we are. As spiritual Humpty Dumpty. That through Christ, you put us back together, but not just the way we were, but you actually make us new again. The old has gone. And the new has come. So God, thank you. I pray that this will be the motivation that will be compelling us to be agent of the proclamation of your gospel for your kingdom. God, will you help us to worship you as we respond in singing, draw me close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.